Let's go. Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We, we, we give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans on Demand podcast. I hope you're ready for the Loans on Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans on Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today we have, I feel like a really great episode. It's going to be a little bit different than our typical episode, uh, but we're going to be talking with Chris Miles. Chris is the cash flow expert and the anti-financial advisor. I love that. He's a leading authority in teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them and working for them today. He's an author. He's a podcast host. He's done a whole other bunch of things. Uh, he's been on Entrepreneur on Fire. But you know what? I'm going to let him introduce himself. Chris, thank you for being here, man. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Luke. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Just give us a little bit of like an overview. I know we have a whole bunch of other things here that you, you wrote here in your bio, but I wanted to allow you to kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and kind of you know where you're at. Yeah. I mean, I've been 20 years in the financial industry, right? Um, for the first four years, I actually started out as the mainstream traditional financial advisor. I was even a loan officer during that period of time too. Uh, did that, realized people weren't becoming financially free off the advice I was giving as a financial advisor, um, nor were they getting that at, at anything from advice from decades of financial advisors. When I would inherit those clients after they had worked with them and the, and the advisors retired, the only people that ended up retiring were the advisors. And it wasn't because of the, the mutual funds they're selling, but just because the commissions they kept earning over and over, the renewals, right? Um, what I've, The big epiphany to me is when a real estate investor brought up the fact, he said, well, how many of your clients are actually financially free where they don't worry about money? And I said, well, not worrying about money? Okay, well, the ones that watch CNN every day, well, they're going to worry about everything. So none, none of my clients are financially free. If you put it on, right. on that definition, he said, well, great, good job. Uh, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions, but actually off doing the, this investing? And when I thought about it, I, I knew guys that have been working in this industry since the late 70s, still not retired. And I realized, well, none of them, none of them were retired or able to retire. He said, sure. well, there's your problem. I said, well, give me an answer. He's like, I'm not going to give you the answer because you just got done telling me stocks were better than real estate and things like that. And I'm like, listen, I'm open. You know, I, I like evidence. I like to know that things work. So give me some. Sure. He's, he's like, all right, if you're really serious, go get this book, Who Took My Money by Robert Kiyosaki, which basically just says mutual funds suck. Um, and then go listen to this radio show that these two real estate investors were doing here locally in Utah. And I started listening to that. And I'll tell you, a few months later, I said, I can't, I have a choice. Either I keep selling this crap that I now know doesn't work, or I stay in integrity and make the leap and, and leave being a financial advisor. So I did. I made the leap. Um, I kept being a mortgage broker because I knew at least I could be honest there. Um, right. I didn't realize that I could be dishonest in that industry till the year later, when 2007, when everything started to freeze up and, uh, sure. and appraisers were getting their license revoked and mortgage brokers and everybody else. Um, yeah. But at least I felt like I could stay in integrity being that. Sure. But I, I need to know what these guys knew. And so eventually I, I started learning about how they did things with real estate, switched my mindset away from accumulation mentality, which is save everything, uh, you know, spend nothing, save it up forever. And then hopefully you can live on maybe 3% of your money. Um, just so you know, the whole 4% rule, you can live on 4% is bogus. Uh, we questioned it even 20 years ago. And just last October, the Wall Street Journal said, 
4% is too high, you shouldn't go over 3%. So that means if you just happen to be lucky enough to save a million bucks in the stock market, you're only supposed to live on 30,000 a year before taxes. I mean, that's poverty level. If you think about it, you're a broke millionaire, right? Um, and so, you know, that's that kind of stuff. When I switch from that to a, a passive income, you know, more of a cash flow mentality, more like what you hear in rich dad, poor dad. Sure. Then all of a sudden it made sense. It worked. And I was able to become financially independent in 2006. And uh, I was Man, 28, I almost 29 years old, wondering now what am I going to do with my life? Um, you know, flash forward. Uh, I know we we're talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, the recession hit. Uh, I started getting egotistical and prideful. And so I ended up going from millionaire to upside down millionaire, where I was over a million dollars in debt, about 16,000 the whole each month. Um, didn't wow. file for bankruptcy, but it would have been a lot better on my credit score if I did. Um, sure. but, uh, I did dig out of that hole. And by the end of 2016, I was financially independent for the second time, uh, be able to make it work and much wiser wow. that time around. Wow. 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 I mean, that's, that's incredible, man. And so, uh, I wanted to touch on one thing real quick. I mean, obviously you talk, you can't save your way, you know, Dave Ramsey, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. and, and, and so have obviously our, our audience of loan officers because, you know, Dave Ramsey talks about 15 year mortgages and, you know, and, and 20% down on all this crazy stuff where it's like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. Like actually practically yep. uh, in terms of like, you know, there's opportunity costs. There's a lot of things that you have to deal with there. But um, I thought that was you know interesting. It's like, okay, well, how do you actually become financially uh, independent? And, and so many times people think they can just save their way there. And it's like, great. Okay. A million dollars, $30,000 a year. I mean, I live in California. The average home price, I think, here is oh, whoa, eight hundred thousand. I don't know what just happened to my camera, mm-hmm. but eight hundred thousand dollars is the the average price point. And so, what do yeah. you do with uh, you know thirty thousand dollars a year? Well, you can't survive on yeah. that, right? Nope, you sure can't. That's and that's the thing. Like Dave Ramsey, bless his heart, bless his Tennessee heart, right? Um, he's a great guy, and he does great if you're making like you know forty thousand dollars a year or less. If you're really paycheck to paycheck and broke. He does great things for you to be able to take a few of his baby steps, like get a little, you know, basic savings and 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 start really looking at your money. I hate using the word budget. I like to use the word spending plan because the truth is all money is meant to be spent. Even if you die, it still gets spent going to somebody else, right? Right. So right. how do you spend it more wisely as a wise steward is really the key. But the problem is this is, you know, especially when he talks about debt and everything else, is that if his things really, if if his advice really worked, you know, if the stock market really did return 12%, like he claims, which it does not, 30-year actual yield of the S&P average is only 8.3% for the last 30 years, um, not 12. Um, if inflation really was 2%, like the Fed's claim, which it's not, it's probably at least 7 to 8% more, more in reality, even long-term, you know, especially since right, they right. took us off the gold standard. I mean, all these things, all these assumptions that they make that say you're going to become financially free. And then, of course, like you said, even worse, um, he's trying to have you aggressively pay off your mortgage. Doesn't really work um, because if it did, his his poster children would not be coming to us asking us, how do we create passive income? Because we might have a million, two million dollars in net worth, but we have zero passive income. We have to keep working until we die. I even had one guy. He actually came to me. He had $3 million in the account. He met with the financial advisor. The financial advisor said, well, you're 52. You got $3 million. Well, if you want to live on $500,000 a year, which was the guy's goal, uh, keep saving. And if you do, you keep saving at least 100, 200 grand a year like you've been doing, you might be able to make it by 65. And I was like, that's bull crap. Like, think about it. You know, he has to, he has to scrimp and save, you know, forever till he's 65. He may not be alive at age 65. 
Right. But I told him, I said, listen, even though you're $3 million right now, even if we make a conservative, just 10% return, which is really easy to do in the, in the real estate market, you know, 10% rate of return with less risk than the stock market, do that. That's 300,000 a year. You're almost to your $500,000 a year goal. And the truth is, if you want to do it based on that guy's advice, because he's probably going off that stupid 4% rule, which has already been proven right. not to work. Okay, well, guess what? You're going to have to save more like 16 and a half to $17 million, go from three to about 17 million to finally have your goal in, you know, by age 65, maybe. So that's the yeah. thing is that all these assumptions that financial advisors make, the numbers are really overpromise, under deliver. And the cool thing I love is that, you know, I'll give you another example, a guy that was a Dave Ramsey, like poster child, uh, living out in San Diego. So out in California, right? My neck um, He had a house that he was paying down aggressively. He had a rental property he's paying down aggressively. Uh, just he, if he kept paying the way he was paying in about six years, he would have them both paid off. And I said, well, why? What's the real purpose? When you really ask people if they try to pay off debt, you have to ask them like, well, what's the real purpose? Why is that? He said, well, my real purpose is I just don't want to have that payment anymore. I want to be able to free up that cash flow. I said, perfect. There's the answer. It's not about the balance of the loan. It's about the cash flow, isn't it? The monthly outgo. I said, you realize we can refinance your house, not because you went down to a 15-year, right? I said, right. let's refi to a 13-year, or sorry, 13, 30-year refinance. Sure. Um, refinance to that and give them about the same or even a little bit lower rate at the time. And we sell your rental property because he was only cash flowing 200 bucks a month on his California rental. Whenever I get people to have rentals in the Western half of the US, especially on the Pacific coast, it's like, sell it. <laughs> well, you haven't Makes seen sense. the numbers. I don't have to because- High, you know, unless you're doing Airbnb, it's it's not going to cash flow enough if you're doing long-term yep. rentals. And so he had 700,000 of equity in that property, 700,000. And he's making 200 bucks a month. That's a dismal return. He could probably do better in the stock market. And I hate the stock right. market. Uh, so I told him, I said, we can sell that property, 1031 that into other properties out East in the Midwest or Southeast and make at least 70,000 a year off that at least. Versus 2000 or 200 a month or 2,400 a year. I said, man, that's a no brainer. If we refinance your house, here's the thing. It's like, we'll actually increase your cash flow by about $75,000 this year. But paying off his mortgages, by the way, those two mortgages in six years would only free up 4,200 a month. So you have to wait six years to free up 4,200, which is 50,000 a year or year one, 75,000 a year. By the time he hit year five or six, he would already be over $100,000 a year of cash flow. That's, that's the difference right there. And that sounds like a no. It sounds like a no-brainer um, to to do something like that. And and I think you know I think people forget also that you know we talked about seven eight percent probably the, the probability of the uh, of the actual inflation right. I mean even mm -hmm. at the rates that have gone up to five six percent, you're you're, you're semi uh, hedging against inflation by by having a loan almost right. Like that's right because like. Even at even if you're at five percent, you know I'm you know I'm at two point seven five right now, which I got lucky right mm -hmm. back in 2021, right? But you know those rates aren't, aren't yep. available anymore. But still, like even at five six percent, like you know who knows what what it's going to be in, in a couple of years and what the, our money's actually going to be worth. So we're paying off all this money so early, and our money's going to go way less far later. So why why not pay it off over 30 years, man? I love I love that idea that like instead of I don't know, man. I I, I think so. Let's talk a little bit about. Those strategies, like how how do you do something like that? What what do you you know, let's say loan officers or anybody who's just listening to the show, like how do you go out and do this to build passive income? Uh, you know, you, it sounds like a lot of it comes from real estate, uh, or, or is there other methods that you're also using for that? You can do several methods. Yeah, I mean, the way to get it out is first, I just tell people get your money out of prison. And there's usually three key areas that people have money in prison right now, and they, in many cases they don't even know it. 
One is just plain old savings, right? You just have money sitting in the savings account. I've seen that more and more lately. People are like, I, I could put in the stock market, but I just feel 13 up years in a row is a little bit too much. <laughs> it's a little bit yeah. too overvalued at this point. That's created a big bubble in the stock market. So they have money just sitting in savings. Two, people have money sitting in retirement accounts, right? Like old IRAs and 401ks and places like that really don't do you any good. Even if you get a match from a 401k, long-term compounding interest only adds maybe two or 3% of a return. And if you're not getting that high return in the stock market as you thought you did, like I mentioned before, you're not really making that much. And then the third place is home equity, right? Is, is we've got this money trapped in there. Can we get it out? You know, whether it's through a cash out refi or just doing a HELOC, whatever it might be. And so, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we had, we had somebody here where uh, I was just looking at a situation again today. He just came on as a client. And uh, he's got money sitting in savings, about 120000 we can invest with, which I said 10%. Savings? 12000 a year. Yeah, just We're talking in about savings. in the yeah, savings? Like, that's like, that's, that's like, like what, 0.01% interest or whatever the, the banks are paying on savings? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's, he's got, so we, we kept out 60000 of that 180, you know, that we said, okay, 120 can be invested more, you know, in the midterm, you know, like three to five years or whatever, right? Um, 60,000, we don't touch, but the truth is we can do stuff with that too. Cause you know, we do strategies like with like infinite bank. If you've heard of that, where sure, it yeah. is more of a max ROI, not the traditional crap that Dave Ramsey hates, which I do too. Um, but more getting a max ROI on it. I can get them earning four or 5% a year tax-free on that money, um, for a good two thirds or three quarters of that 60,000. And then we can diversify into other places too. So we can well, still make a few thousand bucks a year. And real quick, what I, what I wanted to, to bring up is uh, we had some another guest on that talked about like legally as financial advisors, you can say you, you take $10,000 mm-hmm. and then you can double that in one year and it's going to be $20,000. But if, uh-huh. if let's say the next year it goes from $20,000 to $10,000, you can legally yeah. say that your money increased by what's 25% or 50% or something like Average that. 25%. Like, like how, how is that yeah, legal? How is that not a scam? <laughs> well, because uh, financial institutions use it too, because it's, it's math, right? It's, um, you know, Ben Stein, uh, the actor yeah. from Ferris Bueller's Day Off that says Bueller, Bueller, yep, yep, yep. he's a clear eyes guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so his dad was an economist at Harvard. By the way, Ben Stein also went to Harvard and, and got his, his degree in economics. Okay. Um, ben Stein remembers his dad saying in the, in the 1960s when uh, Ben was saying we're going to run out of food and starve by the 1970s. Um, his dad said, figures don't lie, but liars figure, right? It's true. Like, so like you gave that example, you have you know, $10,000, it doubles. It has 100% return to 20,000. That's 100% return that year. Right. Now, if it goes back down to 10, that's a negative 50. So if you're just doing your simple grade school math, 100 minus 50 equals 50, divide by two years is 25% a year average. Now the actual yield, and that's what I said, when I said the actual return of the S&P 500 is 8.3%, that's not the average. The average has always been saying right around 10%, right? Or more than 10%. Right. That's true. But the actual yield is more like 8.3 for the last 30 years because of that very reason. Once you have a negative year, it, it's, it's thrown off because think of it reverse. You lose half, you got to double. So if you lose 50, you got to earn 100% to get back to zero. Right. You lose 25%, you need 33%. You lose 10, you need 11. You lose 90, like in the Great Depression, you need a 900% return just to get back to zero actual yield or return. That's, that's that number. By the way, I actually learned that. It took me three years before someone taught us that as financial advisors. 
And I remember I cornered a guy out in the parking lot saying, hey, so we just realized from 1995 to 2005, we would have all had more money had we not put money in the market, even despite the roaring 90s. We would have all had more money just going for certain stable returns. And the guy just said, yeah, but you know, in the long term, you're young, you're in your late 20s, you can afford to take the risks. So you should just stay in the market. We're just doing this for people that are scared of the stock market, just to give them another option for these other indexed or fixed features. And I'm like, I, I, I now have realized I'm just a salesman in a suit. You know, they're just trying to create different products and they call them products right. so right. that I sell something that fits everybody's risk profile and all that kind of crap. Right. And right. the truth is really financial advisors are just Mexican food, right? I mean, we just offer Mexican food. And when you do the financial I love Mexican stuff, food. Yeah, I did too. But think of it, a taco <laughs> and a burrito, same ingredients, fajitas, same freaking ingredients. You just repackage it and give it a different name. And that's oh, all that, that financial products are. They're all just mutual funds and insurances. That's it. You know, they offer nothing. And so like when I talk about this guy, he's got, you know, 180,000 sitting in savings. He's got probably another 155,000 we can get on a HELOC. Um, and we can net there about 7,500 a year conservatively um, after he makes his payments, right? Um, we've got also, uh, you know, he had a bunch of money in IRAs and stuff like that. Uh, well, all was said and done. I was like, well, we could probably make you about $70,000 this year, 74,500 to be exact, Jeez. you know? Um, and that's just math. That's just going on basic 10%. There's, there's investment deals I'm doing that are more. So yes, like what kind of things, right? So one way area could be turnkey rentals. Um, I don't think of like, I don't want people to become active investors. They can if they want, but that's like a part-time job. And that's if you're like me, you don't, you don't want more work, right? So, um, you know, turnkey rentals means that Not somebody so else is managing. Yeah, you want more, yeah, you don't want, you know, there's the tax, legal, the tax definition of passive income, which means you're getting rental income. Um, right. But passive is not passive. If you're doing flips, you're doing wholesaling or doing all that kind of stuff, you can make lots of money, but that's not passive income in reality. Right. Right. Um, turnkey rentals are the closest where it's a long-term rental, but you have a property manager dealing with all this stuff. You have sure. to buy it and then you get the profits. Um, and, and generally you can get at least a nine or 10% cash on cash on something like that. Even with the rates right now, even though they brought the returns down. Sure. Um, other places, syndications, you know, where you pull your money together with other people, you could be buying apartment buildings with other people. Okay. You can be buying self storage units. You could be doing things with like oil or mineral rights, right? Um, you could be doing things with commercial real estate and then those kind of spaces, all kinds of things you can do there. And a lot of times, again, you, you might even have a contractual guarantee that might say you make eight, 10, 12% a year, and then plus any returns they might make on top of it. Um, you know, uh, some of the other things I think are exciting, like I mentioned mineral rights. I mean, that's more like with oil, where it's more leasing the land. You know, I, mm -hmm. we have an investment that pays about 10 to 15% of a cash on cash return that we get, you know, on a, you know, really monthly total up to be about 10 or 15% a year. Um, you can do things with franchises. It doesn't always have to be real estate based. Um, franchises are another way to do it. Again, that's, I would say, quasi or semi passive. You can get it towards five or 10 hours a week managing it, but you could make six figures a year doing something like that. Um, another thing I'm doing, I'm pretty excited about, but I'll never put on my podcast because um, we don't want competition for some of our best deals. Um, sure. But I, I have a thing where I have a partnership where we're doing raw land, you know, okay. and that raw cool. land, like I've, I have him, you know, went and bought a hundred thousand dollars of raw land of different lots. And right now the cash flow coming in from that, where we're just becoming the bank is about 4,400 a month from that hundred wow. grand, you know? So there's a, a variety of ways you can be investing outside the stock market. In fact, you start to realize 
wait, why do I want these mediocre returns with this high risk in the stock market when I could take more managed risk by having real assets, not just arbitrary zeros and ones on paper or on a computer screen. Sure. And I can actually have real assets that create cash flow and potentially have great growth and they usually have better tax advantages too. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, just the cash flow piece is awesome. But then, you know, obviously, you know, when you're, when you talk about real estate and things like that, you're also talking about, hey, at some point you can also sell that or whatever. And so you're, you're accruing equity and things like that as well, which is, you know, not, not money that's liquid per se. But I mean, I, I'm sure there's some strategies there in the future where you can, you know, cash out, refi those properties and leverage that money yeah. to, uh, to, right. to, to, you know, continue to grow that. So, man, this is kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Uh, I love, I love the, the, you know, again, I, we were talking about it off offline, but it was just, uh, you know, levels, there's levels to this thing, right? Like, you know, when I kind of first started my business, it was like, well, how do I get the money? Right. And then it was like, okay, well, how do I get out of yeah. the debt? based off of all this stuff. And then, you know, from there it's like, okay, well, how do I keep the money? And then how do I invest some money? So there's just like the different layers. And so obviously, you know, as loan officers, like the last couple of years, they've made a lot of money. They, a lot of them probably have a lot of cash sitting around. Um, you know, so, so what, what would you say is kind of like a, the first place that you would say you would start at? Uh, well, the first thing I would say is, you know, follow my podcast, the Chris Miles money show, where we talk Let's about go. these different things. Cause, cause the hardest thing for most people, it's not the strategy is actually the easy part. The hardest part for people is changing the mindset away from that accumulation mindset that we've been brainwashed to believe that is the way to wealth since we were born, right? right Every right. financial expert and talking head out there says, save in your mutual funds, save in your IRAs and 401ks so that hopefully you have some, someday we'll have something. And the truth is like, I've already seen the numbers and I've watched it over these last 20 years. People are not retiring well using that strategy, but still- it's one of the cra craziest mysteries to me that uh, you don't see the media focusing on it. And, and I guess it's not a big mystery when you think about that Fidelities and the Goldman Sachs pay billions of dollars in marketing every Sorry. year on those, you got it, on the financial channels, right? Like, of course, they're going to say, you know, hey, this is the place to invest, you know, and that's, and that's the thing is that it's already been proven that we already have seen people not retire using these strategies. Yet tens of millions of us have become financially independent using strategies like real estate to do this. And, and, and the truth is, I mean, it's great if you have your own business, because if you look at the Forbes 500 list, again, I like evidence. If you look at the richest people on the, on the planet, they're all had one thing in common. They all first and foremost had a business. And then secondly, and many with especially among multimillionaires, um, and even when they've done studies of who are millionaires and what do they do, almost every single one of them had real estate as part of their portfolio not so much just mutual funds. And so that's the common denominator. So why fight what's reality versus what everybody else believes to be true? It's like saying, you know, when we were taught growing up, milk does a body good, right? You know, pass it on. You know, we were taught milk made us healthy. Now we're finding right. out there's almost zero value to milk. Zero. Right. You know, they have right. to throw right. in vitamins to try to entice you to have milk when truth is it's an inflammatory for your body. It's not a healthy thing for you. But we've all been led to believe that that's what was the case because that's what the Dairy Association wanted you to believe. Financial world is no different. Well, and, I mean, you know, and you're right. Dairy is one of the most inflammatory foods, uh, but it does taste really good, too. So, you know, there is that. Well, but, I but love yeah, ice I mean, cream. That's my, my weakness. Ice cream, milk, <laughs> cereal. I mean, I, and I'm lactose intolerant. So, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> I, I love milk, but yet I can't really have I mean, I use, you know, use lactic. Anyway, that's beside the point. Let's let's get back to, <laughs> you know, we're talking about dairy here. But yeah, no, I get it. Like that's that is, you know, marketing. You think about even cigarettes, things like that, like all these different items that have been packaged and sold in a different way um, as mm -hmm. as being good for you. So. 
when it comes to investing, you talked about earlier on uh, West Coast, not a not a great place to invest. So, so what is kind mm-hmm. of your your thought process on, you know, whether it be investing in rental, Airbnb, things like that? Like, is there specific areas? What are you looking for when it comes to something like that? Yeah, if I'm actually looking at investing in properties, which again, like all these different areas I mentioned, I invest in a lot of different places because, you know, if anybody's bought a single family home as an investment before, you start to realize when you do the math, you have to buy a lot of them. You know, and uh, it's nice. Yes. I think it's nice to mix up the portfolio, and not have to all have all rentals, even though, again, that's kind of my favorite go to. Um, you can do that. Places I like are really the boring areas, the places that have growth. They they tend not to be the hot market. So it's not like your Phoenixes or your Tampas sure. right now. Right. Where they're going through the roof and the prices are so high. You know, even where I live in, near Salt Lake City, Utah. Right. I, when I see people here from Utah, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm looking to buy this rental in Salt Lake. Why? Because unless it's an, an Airbnb, you're not going to make that much money on the, on the rent sure. because the prices are high compared to the rents you'll get, you'll collect. So I look more like Midwest or Southeast. Um, so I've got properties like in Alabama, for example. I've got some in like North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Missouri, you know, places like that really aren't exciting. Uh, they don't see these hot, hot, you know, markets where they make a 30% jump in appreciation. They're going to be more stable. And so even if things go south, which I don't think that'll happen anytime in the near future due to the fact we have such low inventory right now, but right. Even if they did, these are the communities that just are more stable. They're kind of more just, you know, they're going to grow steadily. And if they ever decline, they'll decline steadily or stay around the same. But again, the key, and I learned this from the last recession is don't bank on appreciation. Don't gamble, hoping that something's going to make you money from the appreciation sure. standpoint. Always focus on the cash flow. What's the actual profit? Just like in any business, you want more profit. How do I get the best profit out of what I'm doing? Well, it's interesting you, you mentioned the, the last recession because I, I remember when I first started working, I started as a reverse mortgage, uh, you know, in in that reverse mortgage world. Oh, yeah. um, as just like starting at the beginning, I didn't, I was never an originator there, but I just remember talking to my boss there. She said, "Oh, we bought, you know, we bought a house during that time, and they did like an interest mm-hmm. only." And she was like, "It was about to," because obviously at that point everybody was talking appreciation. You know, the 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 home prices have continued to go up and up and up and up, and so they did interest mm-hmm. only, assuming that they could, you know, within the I think. It was like a five year, a 10 year, something like that, 10, 10 one, or I don't remember what it was, but she's yeah. like, man, it's about to come due and our payment's going to go up like two, three grand a month. Like, I don't even know if I can afford that. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, cause it was so brand new, you know, I was just, just graduated from, from college. I didn't know anything about mortgage industry at the time. I didn't know anything about anything. Right. I, I really didn't know because I graduated high school, like right in the middle of that, you know, at that time. So I didn't even know really what's going mm-hmm. on. I knew there was stuff happening, but I was just so young and I didn't have bills or anything like that. So it wasn't a big deal. Um, and so to just kind of hear that that was a thing, like people were banking on this appreciation and I see this today, right? Like, I don't think that's going to happen because the loans that are, that are, you know, being made right now are not what was being, you know, or being written back then. Right. And oh, so, no. you know, there's a lot higher creditworthiness, things like that. But that being said, oh, yeah. I mean, there, you can't bank on it. Like I can't bank on the fact mm-hmm. that like, you know, in the last six years, my, my home price has doubled, right? Like pretty much doubled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't think that that's yeah. going to happen every single year. Right. So how right. do you kind of, uh, protect yourself against that cash flow? Yeah, it's, it, it is. It always comes back to cash flow. Like just look at appreciations like that, that icing on top, right. You know, not to use your dairy metaphor, but if I get a milkshake, you know, it's like adding that whipped cream, it's nice, but it's not necessary, you know? And, right. and that's, a, that's what I like to look at it as too, is, Hey, you get that appreciation. Great. It might mean that, you know, because your appreciation, if it goes up enough, there's enough equity 
my return on equity might be less. You know, just like that that client was in California, right? His return on equity that 2,400 a year from 700,000 of equity is a horrible rate of return. So that's why we said, hey, it's probably best to move that equity into other properties. We get higher cash flow than right then. And you know, I have a property in Memphis right now. I mean, same thing. We've seen appreciation over the last four years. Uh, even though I cash flow 480 a month, which by the way, the initial down payment was only 32,000 with closing costs, um, wow. making you know almost now almost 6,000 a year net cash flow from that. But that doesn't count the fact that a thing is appreciated so much that now I've got over 100,000 of equity in it. So mm-hmm. now it's like, well, what do I do? You know, how do I how do I utilize that? I might want to move that over and double my cash flow because I can go from 480 a month to closer to 900 or 1,000 a month with that same equity. Wow. Wow. And then tell me how, how that works. Like, do, how do you do that? I mean, you talked about a HELOC, you talk about cash out refinance. I, I, I understand from, from a HELOC perspective, at any point, the bank can shut that off, you know, things like that, right? So yeah. you do a HELOC, you just pull the money right out and, you know, they don't, they don't get it back. You just want it, you want it right away. You don't just leave it open. How, how do you work that if, if you're doing something well, for, like a HELOC? For the most part, if you, if you just sell the property, because um, you could do a cash out refinance, but I mean, you know, I mean, rates are going crazy right now. Um, you know, it's, it's making it more expensive even to do that. And that kills your cash flow on their current property. You want to be careful of that. So I would much rather sell the property, move the equity, the the proceeds of those gains, 1031 exchange it into a new property. So I don't have to pay any taxes on those gains, move into a new property that way. And so if you have a hundred thousand dollars, you move that to say a $400,000 property with 25% down. I personally prefer 20%, you know, so sure. it could be a half million dollars or half million dollars worth of properties. It could be two $250,000 properties, move the equity into, and now I'm starting to cash flow from that. Um, that's, that's really how you do it. It's just, it's almost like your properties have babies, right? Like that one property yeah. you go and sell off to then buy two. What, what if someone is wanting to do that from their primary residence, right? Like let's say they have a primary residence. They want to pull, pull the money out there. Because obviously, you know, in that primary, case, you don't necessarily always want to sell it, you know? Exactly. I'm asking yeah, almost personally it. for myself, right? Like, you know, because that, that's where the scenario is now. It's like, how do we invest? Like, where do we, what do we do with it? Right. And so I think, you know, for anybody who's listening, I'm sure they're having the same, same questions. Right. I mean, again, especially mm-hmm. because a lot of these guys have a ton of money sitting around right now, uh, or they should have a ton of money sitting around. <laughs> if you don't, then, you know, you just spent too much, but uh, Hey, let's just, just start from assuming they have a lot of money sitting around. Yeah. And everything is different. Cause uh, you know, if you have old IRAs and 401ks, right. Um, you can move those into what's called called a self-directed IRA sure. where you can choose where it's invested and you can go let it grow and do whatever it wants to do. Um, and so those ones, I say, great. If you have it stuck in the IRAs, let it grow. You can let it go more longer term and just create some gains that way. Now, if you have a, a HELOC, you know, if you have a mortgage, right, if you're in your home, usually we've been recommending doing HELOCs, even though uh, obviously we know rates are going up. There's no question there. But, you know, when you do the calculations, I mean, for even current mortgage rates, I mean, the the HELOC rate would have to get up near 7% to start saying, okay, it's probably not worth getting the HELOC, right? Or, or to try to lock in those rates at some point. Sure. But I mean, if, if I can get the lowest payment possible, this is my goal. And this is my goal with anything with my own house or anything else. Because if you've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he tells you a house is not an asset. It's a liability. Unless oh, it's yep. creating cash flow for you, it's not an asset. Yep, well, yep. if that's the case, I want the lowest payment possible, which we already know banks love because they look at debt to income ratio all the time. You could have an 800 plus credit score and we know you can get denied if your debt to income ratios are too high. Right. So same thing. We want to look healthy even to a bank where we have the lowest payment possible. This is why I like 30 year fixed, right? Or 30 year type mortgages. But then I like to follow up with a HELOC if there's equity in there. 
you know, get a HELOC interest only, you know, not the principal and interest kind, but interest only HELOC where, you know, I can be paying for a hundred thousand dollars. I might be paying maybe 300 bucks a month. Cool. Well, wow. if I know that hundred thousand can then cash flow generate at least 800 to a thousand a month, take away that 300, I still make 500 to $700 a month wow. um, free and clear above and beyond. So not only does it pay my mortgage payment, it even helps me pay my first mortgage payment. Right. 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 It, it, it's, a, it's a way to actually get your house to really be a true asset because the equity is worthless otherwise. Um, yeah, but you got to make sure it goes in the right places. So usually when I do that, when it's a HELOC or any kind of mortgage for that matter, I like things that do provide monthly cash flow. So that's where rentals can be an easy one because you can, somebody who's like very, like they're still Dave Ramsey stuck, right? It might be good to say, well, you're not going into debt. You're just using asset, you know, equity from one house to become equity in another. Your net worth, by the way, when you do it that way, stays the same. And if you buy the property really well, you might even gain faster net worth <laughs> as a result of that move because as those properties start to gain value, you also gain more appreciation and leverage too. So, um, you know, doing it to rentals or anything, any kind of investment that might pay you monthly or on a regular basis. Um, wow. There are like, when I mentioned like going and pulling your money together in syndications, like you buy an apartment building, they might pay you quarterly versus monthly, right? Sure. Um, there are some that might pay you monthly or quarterly. Uh, like if you do short-term lending, you can actually become the bank where you lend money to people that might be going and renovating properties. Maybe the property is worth 260,000, but they buy it for 130. You have this 50% LTV that you go into, you're on title. So if they don't pay you, the property is yours, just like mm -hmm. the bank would if you don't pay your mortgage, right? Sure. Um, but then they're paying you maybe 10% or more. You know, I have, I have one guy that just uh, did a deal with one of my clients that he paid 10% plus an extra one point, you know, an extra 1% as well. So he got wow. paid really about like a, it ended up being more like a 12% annual annualized rate of return on that, on that lending wow. deal. And he got the money back in five months and he can do it again if he wants. And uh, this is, this is amazing, man. I mean, this is, this is a lot of good, good content. I think, uh, you know, I think this is something that I don't know, man, it needs to be taught in school and needs to be taught everywhere, I guess. But, you know, because at the end yeah. of the day, like, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up, I was a missionary kid, like my parents, mm -hmm. I didn't have credit until I was 20 something, you know, like it just was very like anti, like it's, it's a lot of the risk averse uh, thing. And again, you know, Dave Ramsey followers, mm -hmm. things like that, um, you know, and so, so what, in terms of that sort of thing, because I think sometimes so many people are so, it's really risk averse. And, and obviously I started a business, so yeah. I clearly am not very risk averse. Um, yeah, to a certain extent, yes, I am. You know, I'm not just going to go gamble my money, but at the same time, like I'm willing to do more than the average person is willing to do, right? And I would say the loan officers are too, but let's just say we have someone that's more risk averse. Is there some vehicle that that has a little lower risk uh, profile that, that would, uh, you know, still give a decent return that you would recommend? Yeah. Well, it's interesting about when you mentioned risk averse, right? Because uh, people say like, well, I'm conservative. I don't like to take risks. I said, well, based on my definition of risk, you're riskier than I am. Because yeah. I believe that risk is the definition from taught us as financial advisor, which is chance of loss, right? What's your chance of losing? That's the definition of risk. Well, the problem is in the financial world, they taught you that high risk creates high returns. This is false. Because when did a 90% chance of loss become a 90% chance of winning. I mean, do the math here. If you have a 90% chance of loss, what's your chance of winning? 10%. 10%, right? So oh, the, the say high risk rates, high return, it's, it's, a, it's a total sales ploy to get you to, to put your money in the markets with institutions that take guaranteed fees, cash flow 
off of your money, right? So when you put money in a mutual fund, they say they take off 1% only and they could take a lot more, but say it's only 1%. Hey, they're getting that guaranteed money whether you lose money or not in the market. Your money can fluctuate up and down. They still get paid. You know, they don't, it's not like you say, hey, I penalize you because you cost me my money. That doesn't sure. happen in their world. They right. always make money. You're the one that may or may not make money. Therefore, if you say I'm risk averse and you have any dollars at all in mutual funds, stocks, bonds, or anything, I would say you are the one of the riskiest gamblers I know because you're putting yourself in a place that's mediocre returns with high risk. And, and there's well, a lot of risk in there. And I think it's going to be worse. Well, let's even talk. Let's honestly, let's truthfully talk about even savings account. You, you save $100,000 in a savings account. I mean, we yeah. just talked about it. You're losing 7 to 8% a year. Yeah. I mean, if we're, talking about, if we're talking about, right. <laughs> But we're losing seven, yeah, seven, eight percent in value. Inflation. Right, yeah. right, in va- right, exactly. And so, if you're not at least making seven, eight percent on your money, you're really losing that too. So let's just, you know, I guess that that makes more sense. Because I mean, I'm thinking specifically around like my, you know, my sister's actually very big to Dave Ramsey, and she was like, you wanted a fifteen percent down and a twenty, you know, uh, uh, you know, twenty percent down, all these things. And I was like, buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. They finally bought, and luckily they bought right before this massive spike. They bought in like 20, 2020. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm glad they did because they've already, you know, picked up a hundred thousand in equity, but you know, yeah, that to me is like, man, like she's very risk averse, just, you know, very, you know, likes to save and things like that. So that was kind of what I was thinking there. Uh, the other, yeah. the other, Let's, um, go ahead. Uh-huh. I was just saying like, yeah, I mean, now it, there's risk averse and there's also ignorance, right? Yeah. One, one thing I have people that have a big fear of inflation right now. And so their big mm-hmm. fear is, well, if I keep my money in savings, I'm losing, which is true. You will be. But remember that 0% is not your worst return. Your worst return is negative 100% or even more than negative 100%. You know, if, you, if you're in business, you could lose more than what you ever invest in something. Um, but look at this, sure. right? Like if you have money in the stock market right now and say that it finally does correct, which it's overdue, if that corrects and say you lose 40%, say you go from 100,000 down to 40,000 or down to 60,000, you lost 40%, 40,000 bucks, you have $60,000. But remember, inflation is still going, is still driving off. It's like, it's like you going in reverse, driving backwards while everybody, the traffic just keeps moving forward. Good luck trying to catch up with those cars later on. Because right. now you got to go chase that. Because if, if inflation now went up, say, 10% that year, you lost 40. It, now it's, it's supposed to be 110,000, but you're at 60,000. Just to get to it by that next year, if it goes another 10% or even 9% at that point, Guess what? You got to get to 120,000. You got to double your money really fast. And, and that doesn't happen in the stock market like that, not that quickly. This is why people are losing pretty much whatever you save into your mutual funds. That's what you should expect to live on in, in actual income. It's not much different. It's not much more. So, so what if you're putting away 20,000 a year, max out your 401k, you will probably be living after inflation adjustments and everything else in taxes, you'll probably be living off of maybe 20 to 25,000 a year. Jeez. That hurts. That hurts. That hurts my heart. I do have a little bit in, in those types of things. And so that makes me, makes me cry here. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that, you know, obviously it, it's, it's a little bit better than uh, having it in a savings account with 0.01 or whatever, but obviously Long-term there's better ways. Sure. There's better ways to get returns. Um, you know, another thing that I wanted to kind of touch on as well is, you know, one of the popular strategies is getting a 30 year loan and then paying an extra payment a year. What are your thoughts on mm-hmm. that? Does it make sense to do that? Or does it make sense to just, you know, keep the loan and reallocate that, that cash flow to something else? You know, I, I used to think that was a smart thing to do. And I used to teach it as well as a mortgage sure. broker. Um, but then when 2007 hit, uh, I remember I was trying to, you know, things started getting tight in the new business I just launched in 2007. 
So I said, oh, I have equity in my house. I should get it out. July of 07, try to get it out. They said, oh, you know what? We're starting to make things a little bit more strict. They didn't say why. They said, we're starting to get a little bit more strict on our lending guidelines. Get your credit score up literally two points and then come back to us in August. So I did that. They said, oh, we just, last week, we just changed some more guidelines, do X, Y, and Z. And then by September, you should be able to get the loan. I did that. And then they said, we no, we no longer allow cash out refinances by September of 07, right? Wow. The problem is I had a good chunk of money. I had some about $200,000 of equity trapped in that house that I couldn't access. And, uh, and I, I was doing the Dave Ramsey thing, right? I was putting that extra equity in thinking because at that time I thought, well, if I ever need the money out, I can just get a home equity line of credit. But I never considered the possibility that the banks might say no. <laughs> right. And, and that's where, uh, you know, again, like mathematically on a calculator, it works great, right? Like it looks good to make the extra payment once per year. I tell people to do that instead of biweekly payments. I think it's way wiser to do that lump sum because you will pay it off faster, mathematically sure. speaking. The problem is though, is that an actual application of real life, the thing is, what if you need that equity back? The bank's not going to say, oh, sure, just come back and get it. Even if you're trying to do that whole velocity banking strategy where you're using a HELOC, a first mortgage HELOC to then go and invest and pay it down with the returns. The thing is, I, I tell people, don't you dare use that strategy. I, I love using HELOC, but I'll max it out and then pay interest only or just round up to the nearest dollar, you know, and that's it. Because I don't want them taking doing anything where they might cut back my lines of credit and say, oh, things are getting a little tight or getting a little scary right now. We're going to chop it off and then your equity gets trapped. So for sure. me, I would have I would have weathered that last recession much better if I had the equity in my own pocket. Even if it was sitting in savings, it would have been better. Um, and then definitely the next level up would be, great, can I do something to actually generate cash flow from that to where it puts me in a much healthier financial position where my debt to income ratios look amazing because my income was way higher than those loan payments. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's uh that's that's interesting to to hear, right? Because you know that's actually one of the things I've done is like you know we refinanced and uh, you know we were paying a certain amount and so we we got a lower rate and so I was like, well, you, I just might as well just keep paying the same amount I was paying, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it basically works out to about one extra payment a year after everything, and I still make my once a month payment, um, mm -hmm. but it's the same as I was paying before, and so I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to knock you know four or five years off my 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 thing. It's not like a big difference. I think it's like a two hundred dollar difference. Um, but you know, that being said, now just hearing this, like, okay, maybe there's something else I could put $200 towards, um, you know, just, exactly. just, uh, some, some interesting thoughts makes you, makes you think about money in a little bit different way. Um, and I know we could talk about this all day. Um, you know, but I, I think we've, we've kind of gone on for a while. And so just wanted to kind of get, I'd say one, one strategy, one tactic, one thing that a loan officer or really anybody, um, that's listening to the show can go out there uh, today and, and, and kind of start to create this passive income you're talking about. Like, what, what would you say is kind of the one one thing that someone could do today to do that. You know, I'm going to change gears slightly um, and make sure it applies to everybody because maybe you're sure. thinking, well, I don't have all this cash to invest right now. The number one thing I can recommend you doing to help you generate more income is always be focusing on how do I create more value for more people, right? How do I go about solving problems, serving people in a way that it gives them the value they need? Because I'll tell you, as when I was a loan officer for a while, I was on that scarcity mentality. I would cut back my origination fees just to be the best, um, only get shopped around. But when I said, how would I focus on more value, still charge the same origination, you know, the standard at least 1% origination fee and do, and just focus on teach them even this stuff. I mean, even just teach them what could your equity actually do? Even just from a theoretical standpoint, I started getting a whole new group of business just because people said, that's a great idea. Like, okay, great. How do we do that? 
And then it was, you know, just helping them do that. I, I had more loans closing where I started telling them how you could actually use your mortgage to create like that one night retirement, you know, where, you know, you could literally use the equity to not only pay off your mortgage, but maybe even help you be able to retire faster. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's reverse mortgage strategies or whatever. So again, the principle is always the same. Strategically speaking, it's just create more value. What can you do to keep solving problems, listen to what people want, and then help them get it legitimately with what you're doing and how you're serving them. And I, I love that. And I think, I think it just kind of ties into everything we've been talking about today. Um, but I, I don't know how familiar you are with Barry Habib, but you know, anybody in the industry would know him. It's, it's just kind of taking a different approach to originating and things like that. And I think it's kind of the approach you've taken here with financial advising and things like that. Obviously, it's just the anti you know, what the typical person does. And so many times people like mm-hmm. the virtue signal, you know, they're like, oh, I got the cheapest rates, yada, 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 and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, but like the truth is like, who cares? Because most of these people are not going to live in their home for 30 years. So you're like, oh, you're going to save a hundred thousand over the mm-hmm. Your lifetime, but it's like, you no, know, like, what if the next person's going to charge you an extra quarter, but but they're going to teach you how to, you know, leverage this money in the future, going to refinance you into something else, they're going to use this cash or something. Right. That's way more valuable than saving someone, uh, supposedly saving someone $100,000 over the life of a loan when we know that people on average are moving every five to seven years. So they're not yep. really going to, to, to take advantage of any of the savings. It's going to be minimal because we both know that like interest is much more heavy on the front end um, than principal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I just think that's a, a huge sort of shift in, in the way that you approach your clients, things like that. And I think, uh, more so than ever in this environment, uh, you know, people are looking for advisors, right? People that can help them um, get beyond the fear as well. I mean, your rates have gone up. So I love that that was the way you wanted to end the, the show was to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, show up in a different way, show up as an advisor, right? It doesn't have to be the lowest rate. Right. Yeah, but the truth is right now, if you do want to be the lowest rate, just know you're going to be, you're going to be shocked. It's just, you know, people are scared. Um, so if you can show up mm-hmm. in a different way, that's, that's awesome, man. So Chris, tell us a little bit about where can someone find you if they wanted to find you uh, some more information online? Yeah, two easy places. Uh, one, whether it's through YouTube, iTunes, or whatever podcast app you use, you can follow the Chris Miles Money Show. Um, we got lots of great information, different education that we offer there. And then you can always go to our website, moneyripples.com. And we've got lots of information there. And we even have a passive income calculator. So if you're wondering, hey, is you know my money might have been in prison, whether it's equity or whatever it might be, how much could my situation generate in passive income in the next 12 months? We got a calculator to help you figure that out very easily. Man, I love that. So again, man, if you, if anybody wants to hear anything more about uh, Chris and his strategies, uh, I know that I'm going to be going over there and checking it out <laughs> pretty much right after this because this is blowing my mind. There's a lot of cool things that uh, you know I've always known. Real estate is the the vehicle. Uh, that you know, I think more more millionaires are created via real estate than any other. Maybe it's insurance. I don't know. One of those two. It's 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 those two basically those two vehicles that uh, create mm-hmm. uh, wealth. Right, the biggest creators of wealth uh, in, in the nation. And so it's important. That's right. Uh, so thinking about it in a way where, hey, you know what? Let's get our money to work for us. I think that's huge. Just think differently. So that's my big takeaway from today. Think differently. Look at look at like what your goals are and, and figure out how can you, you know, cash flow more. So thank you so much for being here, Chris. And thank you for everyone for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans on Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. The Loans on Demand podcast.